The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Well, uh, as Pastor Vince said, my name is David. I'm a leader here at Love City, play the bass, and my wife and I just recently took over um, the student ministry here, which is 6th grade through 12th grade. So um, that is fun and exciting. Um, if anybody knows of any, you know, teenagers, you know, you're more than welcome. We meet on Thursday nights at our house in Springdale, um, and it's been awesome because a lot of the kids are really asking some deep questions, and it's good to start them out young, asking those questions, preparing them for the world out there. So it's been a blessing. Continue praying for us in that. So, um, But today I'm going to be kind of sharing my testimony and going through a set of verses that has really been inspirational to me, um, have been a strong foundation to me. Um, but first, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, most importantly, and just being able to gather, Father. Um, we thank you for just the privilege to come worship you freely, Father, in all that we do. Lord, I just pray today, Father, that it's not my words that come out, Father, but it's yours, Father, that you can just use me as a vessel um, as I just teach your word, share my testimony, Father. I, I pray no gain in my life, Father, but but gain from from your word being preached, from the, the blessings and the triumphs and all that you've delivered me from, Father God, I, I, I thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray that you open our hearts and our ears and our minds today. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So when you see me walk away from this, I'm on a rant. So be prepared. No, I'm just joking. Uh, so I'm just going to give a little bit of a background. Um, I'm not going to go into much detail because I'm going to hit some of it later, but grew up in church my entire life. Um, If anybody was here for Adam, you know, he was my best friend growing up. So we were in the same background, everything, you know, I had family who, you know, faithfully served. Um, You know, my dad was in the jail ministry, did all like homeless outreaches, everything. He was very active. My mom was worship leader there. Um, for many years. My dad even took over youth group for a little bit and was youth leader as well. So um, to say the least, I grew up in church um, a lot. So about maybe 16, 17, maybe 18-ish. I, honestly, I, I blank a lot of my past out for some reason, but um, that was kind of when I was like, you know, this is my, this is my parents' faith. Um, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. I, I knew who God was. I had experienced him, but I was just like, this is not for me. Um, there was just something missing. Um, and so I kind of left going to church. I mean, I was 18. I had my own job, had my own car. I could you know, pay for everything. So I was just like, see y'all later. 
Um, I, I visited every once in a while because honestly, like, like Vince said, we, he was my youth pastor. We grew up a whole lot and just did so much stuff together. So he had an impact on me. So, you know, like he is a good shepherd. He always reaches out to you, even if you're gone. Um, and he's loved me through a whole lot. So, but I would always go just to see him hang out, you know, every once in a while to see him, but I didn't really get into, you know, drugs, all that stuff. I, I was in, you know, a band for a little bit, um, just got in with, with that crowd. Um, yeah. And I finally met my uh, wife, Juliet, and I would say probably after about a month or two, we found out we were pregnant. So here I was like <laughs> shocked. I was excited, but shocked. Um, because we were definitely not the right people to be parents at that moment. Um, she was 17 when she found out. I was 18. Um, yeah, and we had a lot going on. Um, our relationship was very carnal. It was not really emotionally attached. Though we were enamored with one another, we weren't really, you know, spiritually there. Um, but we had Eli, and he was a huge blessing. Um, he helped us a lot. He helped me realize how God is our Father. Um, we had a whole lot of growing up to do, a whole lot. Um, but when he was about two or three, um, we decided to go um, to a church service, and that's when the Lord spoke to us. Um, I remember we were like standing there worshiping and the guy came out and he called to us and he was like, I, I don't even know all that he said. And I know some people like save the prophecies and stuff, but I do know he said, in a year from now, you guys are going to be totally different. And he was like, you guys are going to be under bridges. Um, you know, and God's really going to do a work in you. And I was like, don't really know what that means, but this is awesome, you know, because I really felt the presence of God. And so my wife and I, we both smoked a lot. Uh, we actually got in the truck, threw our cigarettes out, never picked one up again. Um, so that was an awesome deliverance right there because I know people who have struggled with years trying to get rid of that. And so I'm thankful that that God did that for us. And we started going back to that church and became youth leaders, worked in the children's ministry. Um, and then Vince said, I'm planning a church. And we were like, well, it was funny because <laughs> he got up there and he was like talking about it. And um, I looked over at my wife and I'm like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? She's like, yes. And I'm like, awesome. So then we like get into the car and I'm like, I'm like, so you're thinking what I'm thinking. And she's like, yeah, we should become the youth pastors here. And I was like, no, we're supposed to go with Vince. <laughs> so I was like, well, hold on one second. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we got to pray about it. So we started praying about it. And I knew it was the Lord because my wife came to me a couple weeks later and was like, all right, I, I 
we're supposed to go with Vince. And I'm like, okay, sweet. So, yeah, we've been on this journey. I mean, it's been still been a struggle constantly, but we have been on this journey since then. Um, we've had another child, and it's just been a huge blessing. God has been really, really good and faithful to us. So there's that. We'll get into a little bit of, you know, in between that and some of the struggles. But I just wanted to give you a par of from there till now. So the set of verses I'm going to be focusing on today are in Philippians chapter 3. If you guys want to turn there, we're going to be starting in verse 12. But as you guys are turning to this set of verses, for those of you who like titles to sermons, I have titled mine, Distorted Perfection. So I want to ask everyone, what does being perfect look like to you? Now I know what most of you are thinking in your mind about what the right answer is. And most of us, if asked this question, would say, it's Jesus and his life. They were perfect. And in that way, an example we're supposed to shape and mold our lives around. Well, you're correct. And you all have the key to what I'm about to teach on. So, I'm done. No, <laughs> But the problem is, is we know the answer, but do we act according to that answer? So hopefully through this sermon, through the stories of my struggles and triumphs, we can get a clear idea of what perfection is to those who are in Christ. Let's go ahead and read. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Amen. So, before I start to break down these set of verses, I want to hit you with two points. First is a definition from the dictionary of what the world sees as this word perfect. So the word perfect I pulled out was actually an adjective and a verb. So on the adjective definition, it's free from any flaw or defect in condition or quality, faultless, precisely accurate, exactly right. So this sounds to me like it's a lot to take on already just as an adjective. Let's see how it's described as a verb. 
to make something completely free from fault or defect, or as close to such a condition as possible, to bring to completion or finish. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some words or definitions that just bring weight. This is one that has had a huge weight on me. The second thing that I want to point out real quick is the beginning of chapter 3 in Philippians. I'm going to read verse 1 through 11, but I want to just focus on 4 through 7. There's a lot in this verse to unpack, but really I just want to focus on 4 through 7 in this because I just want to break down something real quick. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutioner of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my father. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Here just briefly, Paul is pointing out that if anyone has a reason to be perfect in the flesh, he has more. He's pointing out right here, basically like, you guys think you're perfect? Look at all these accomplishments I have. You can lay it all out. I have better reasons. Circumcised on the eighth day. You know, I, I've obtained to the law. I, I mean, he, he, he right there is pointing that out. Like, you could lay it all out. I have it better. But you see, this was the, what the world saw as perfect. But Paul saw it as worthless. This was Paul's mindset before going on to write verses 12 through 21. So you may be asking yourselves, why this sermon? Or why am I so focused on this word? You see, we all have cookie cutter answers as to what we think being perfect looks like. Jesus is always and always will be perfect. But in all, action, all actuality, what do we focus more on making perfect in our lives? You see, perfection to most of us looks more like reaching that goal or position in work, reaching a certain income, Remodeling or purchasing a new home, I can keep going on. We have a certain goal we want to reach or accomplish to a sense in our lives to be perfect. How many have heard the term, 
if I can only get this, or if I can become like this, then, how many have heard that term? I mean, I've used it multiple times. We're trying to take the physical things of this world in our lives and bring them to a finish or make them exactly right. This here is a clear view of worldly perfection. So today I'm going to show how the devil can distort perfection and how Christ can magnify perfection and the ways that we can reflect Christ in our race towards perfection. Let's go ahead and look at verse 12 and 13 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So the first half of this sentence, we see Paul talking about the fact that he already had acknowledged the fact that he was not perfect. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, we live in a world where we continually struggle with sin and temptation. Paul then tells us that he is pressing on to make it his own because Jesus has made it his own. What does he mean by this? This right here is the beautiful picture of the gospel. You see, God called us to live perfectly, but we all know that's impossible because of sin. The only way for us to reach perfection that God has called us to is when we reach the end of the race. So we have a whole life to work towards this goal. Paul is saying here that he is able to push towards that goal of perfection because he is in Christ. Christ had came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death for us. And if we believe and confess that, then we are in him. But until that day where he calls us to be with him, we will be pushing towards perfection. Now in verse 13, he says that he has not made it his own, meaning that he is not perfect. He then goes to tell us how he focuses on this. He breaks it down into two separate things. Number one, it's forgetting the past. The second is straining towards what lies ahead, pressing towards the goal and the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Let's go ahead and break down these two points. First, let's talk about what Paul is saying about forgetting the past. Here, I'm gonna dig a little deeper into my testimony and why I focus on this word perfect. I called this sermon distorted perfection because in my life, I had taken the beauty of the word and its true meaning and purpose and let it overtake every part of my mind and action in a negative way. See, I grew up in a great loving home. I went to church multiple times a week and was active. I felt like I was a joy to be around and always liked to make people laugh. Now, I know you think, why am I teaching on this again? You see, the outside, I was great, but I didn't have it all together on the inside. My mind started to falter as I began to grow up. I began to struggle with the weight of failure. 
Now, it wasn't all intense at first. As here or there, I would mess up and I'd feel that weight. But it was in those moments that the devil was slowly beginning to take perfection to a level of failure. What I mean by this is that I became so focused on having things perfect that when it was not, I began to place blame on myself. The more this started to happen, the more I began to sink inward and become less of an outward person. You see, I have been struggling with this for many years. And honestly, it's still a constant struggle for me every single day at this moment. I have a fear that I've had to be, that I've had to dig out of failing people, my friends, my family, my wife, and God. But when my dad passed away, it took a very big turn for the worst. You see, I began to beat myself up for not doing enough or being there enough for my father, for not telling him I loved him more or just being around him. When he passed, my life concaved. See, my father was 51 and he was diagnosed with frontal lobe dementia. It was a hard and winding road and each of my family members dealt with it differently. Um, I told myself that I was okay with it, but I didn't want to fail. So my idea of not failing was to avoid it at all costs. I'd visit my dad. I'd love on him as much as I could, but I was always continually afraid of not doing enough. My dad passed away at 57. I let that time slip past me between those six years, and I sank real hard after that. I then began to think about all the people that I've failed, and I got into a mindset. If I just pushed everyone away or shut myself out, I couldn't fail anymore. Began to take a strain on my friendships and on my marriage. You see, it's real hard for me not to be in that mindset all the time because if I can't do something perfect, I've created a stigma that I might as well not do it at all. I became so negatively focused that nothing could be perfect at all. I started to have expectations of people without even communicating to them these expectations. And when they didn't meet them, which honestly nobody ever could, this would be my way out of pursuing that person. I was to a point, honestly, where I could walk anywhere and pull the worst thing of wherever I was at. I would joke about it sometimes, like I could walk in a room, I mean, think of something that would make everybody's heart full of just happiness. You know, most people, I mean, to me, if I walked in a bakery, it would be pure happiness. But I could walk in there and like find the most negative thing, like the happiest place you could be. I could be in there and just point out what's negative in it. It was tough. It hindered me in so many ways. 
kept me quiet. I used to be able to talk to people. Now, when I'm in a room of a bunch of people, I'm likely to be in a corner. Because I just feel like I'm going to let someone down in my conversation. So a higher buy is easy for me. But to dig in deep, it's a struggle. My past and my shortcomings had now shaped my thoughts and my behaviors. I'd let my, fa- my past failings become a part of me. But this is not what Paul is saying to us. He's telling us to forget our past. I don't believe that he means forgetting the things that God has done for us. But what he means is forgetting who you were or what separated you from God. You see, the devil likes to come in and remind us of who we were and make us feel like a failure. I still think about how I could have handled things with friends or my dad or even in any situation better. It's a way for me to sink back into my distorted perfection. The distortion of being so focused on something that it completely takes my focus off of Christ. I know this is deep and heavy, but there's hope. You see, the second thing Paul tells us to do is to strain forward to what lies ahead. Now, he says something about the prize of the upward call. By using the word prize here, I believe he's talking about the day when we are perfected with Christ. So this is what we have to set our mind and our hearts to always. Not being so focused on how to make things perfect here on earth, but towards the day when we get to be with Christ. Let's now look at verse 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So the word used here for mature from the Greek term teleos, which is the same adjective used for the word perfect in verse 12. So I believe what Paul's saying in these verses is that if we really think we're mature or perfect, then we'll know we haven't reached that. So now let's look at another example from the Bible of how we can reach towards this perfection in Christ. James chapter one, verse two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here in the book of James, we have him telling us to count it all joy, the many trials we face. For the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, which in other words is being unwavered. And with that unwavering faith and steadfastness, this will bring us perfection and complete us lacking in nothing. Now this is a strange and unfamiliar thing to do. Counting all trials as joy. See, this was the opposite for me. When I was faced with adversity, I backed down 
because I lacked hope and I lacked faith. I backed out of anything I thought I could fail. But God is good. He's helped me to see that I'm going to fail. If I continue to put my faith in my flesh, I will always fail. But if I put my faith and trust in the one who never failed, failing is not an option because he already reigns victorious. Christ is continually working in me and showing me the beauty and suffering and messing up because it calls for me to rely on him more and not my flesh. So the three ways I have to help us towards perfection in Christ is counting all our trials as joy, forgetting our past, and straining towards what lies ahead. Let's go ahead and finish up Philippians 3, starting in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In verse 17, he's calling those to imitate him. I want you to know Paul's not saying he's greater than Christ because we're supposed to imitate Christ or that he's perfect, but he's calling those to follow in his and other leaders' action who are on the race to perfection in Christ and their acknowledgement of their need and reliance on him. We need to be constantly in prayer and seeking out those who we can look up to and run the race with. Paul then goes on to weep for those who are in the world. Their end is death. When he says their God is their belly, he's saying they worship themselves and they are consumed with worldly things. This again points to the area in our lives that we can struggle with trying to make perfect. One area that I have issues with trying to make perfect is my marriage. So by the raise of your hands, how many of you wish for a spouse that would do all the things that you ask of them to do? Don't be afraid to raise your hand, okay? I grant pardon to anyone who's sitting next to their spouse who raises a hand. (laughs) You can come see me. You guys would think that having a spouse who did all they could to make you happy and fill all you need would be beneficial or create a better marriage. That ain't the case. 
You see, I love my, li- my wife, my wife, yeah, with all my heart. She is a very, very, very special person to me. But a lot of times I struggle with that by putting her before Christ. I just want to make her happy and do the right thing. That would make her proud of me. But most of the time that ends up with me feeling like a failure. You see, the thing is, I could do everything for her. I could give her a massage every night. When she's hungry, I could go make her food. I enjoy doing that, but I seek that out all the time. Whereas my wife, she just wants me to lead. And I get so focused on serving her that I don't lead my family in Christ. There, it's, it's silly. It really is silly. But I let my love for my wife overthrow my love for Christ. Because I think making her happy makes God happy, which it does. But the problem is, is that I don't put him first. You see, God wants me to make her happy. He wants me to serve her and respect her. But the best way that I can serve my wife is by seeking after Christ. I continually try to find ways to make her happy. But you know what she always comes and asks me? She said, make a decision. You know, my struggle, and this is, I'll just give us an example. And it's funny, because I'm sure some of you guys have dealt with this. I'll be like, let's go get some food. She, I'm like, where do you want to go, babe? She's like, I don't know, you make a decision. 20 minutes later, when we're yelling at each other and no longer hungry, (laughs) the kids are in the back like, oh my gosh, we're going through McDonald's, me and her are eating at home, and there it was, and we sit down and, and, and we have these conversations, and she's like, if you would just lead and make a decision, I'm so focused on her leading, I'm, I'm looking for her approval before being the leader of the house. I want to perfect my relationship with my wife and my marriage, but really the only way to do that is perfect my relationship with Christ and continually seek after that. Say that again. <laughs> I don't remember how to say it. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't in my notes, so I can't. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's as simple as I'm driving down the road and I'm like, babe, which way do you want me to go? And she's like, you turn the way you want to turn. It's so hard for me because all I want to do is seek after that. If I would just seek after Christ, then he would bring us together more. I'm trying to personally in my flesh perfect my marriage. And I've distorted that because I haven't led the way that I should. So in the beginning of my sermon, 
I asked all of you what perfection looked like. Real and true perfection is only through Christ, following his life and example in all that we do. You see, this devil tries to distort this and turn the perfection inward. And with that comes the thoughts of selfishness and for some, failure. We as Christians have to understand that one day we will be perfected in Christ. But until that day, we have to focus on reaching that perfection by rejoicing in all that comes our way, good or bad, and by living as examples to the best of our ability, like Christ, the perfect one. You will have a distorted view of perfections your whole life if you focus on the perfection of your own life. But you will have a restored perfection when you can see the perfect Savior who reflected in his life here on earth and through the Holy Spirit. Today, I still struggle with wanting to give up. I still struggle with truly seeking friends who will push me. I still struggle with making my marriage or my wife my highest standard. But now I have the joy of forgetting my past mistakes and knowing that I can look to the finish line of perfection one day in him. I have to continually tell myself I will never be perfect, but I can reflect Christ's perfection and his perfect love in all that I do and take the focus off my failures and shortcomings and focus on his grace and mercy. I wanna leave you with this set of verses from Hebrew 12, verse one and two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, my ESV study Bible, the commentary for this verse says, through his atoning work, Christ's perfection leads to the perfection of his people. Through the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice Christ made on the cross, he's not only displaying perfection, but he's creating a perfect example in his people. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just your perfect son, God. We thank you for sending Christ Jesus to live a perfect life, to be a perfect example, to die a perfect death for us, Father God. I thank you for that, Lord God. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for constantly putting things in our path to continually grow us, to rely on you, Jesus. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the tribulations, Father God. Thank you for the things that we can count as joy. Thank you for the things that you throw our way, Father, that we have to rely on you if we want to overcome. God, we thank you that you reign victorious, that we don't have to worry, Father God, about winning or about being perfect or about failing, Father, but we know that you have already won the battle and we can set our sights on one day being perfected in you 
at the end of our race, Lord God. Father God, I ask that as we just worship you tonight, today, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be set on you, Father God. That our hearts will be set on pushing aside our past. Pushing aside the things that we feel define who we are by our past. And looking towards you, Father God, as the perfect example. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.